Well, hi guys. Um, I am so happy I wasn't here last week to see my face on a big screen. <laughs> I was like, life got, it. you don't even want to know. But anyway, I couldn't be here. I was sad to not be here. I was thankful that I had the teaching from last semester, but I was also so thankful I didn't have to sit there and look at myself. So yay me. <laughs> um, also, I want to comment on the fact that nobody loves me enough to sit in the front row. I'm just, I'm not insulted completely because there are y'all, y'all are on the third row. But I do notice, so I'm just saying you people in the back. Um, I'm looking at you guys back there. Anyway, I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're on lesson 7. Um, if we haven't met, my name's Chris. I'm your tour guide through Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament wisdom literature that we all love to embroider on pillows, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, this week, though, was really fun for me, um, this lesson, because um, it was seven verses. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Seven verses. It's okay. It's okay. God can handle it. It's all right. Um, but the thing I loved about this week is Solomon shifts. Did you see the shift? This week, he turns to like, he's been telling us all these things that he's noticed in this experiment, you know? But this week, chapter five, he starts telling us what we should be doing doesn't he? So we're going to go into that in just a little bit. We're going to look at seven verses where Solomon weighs in on how we are to live a life worshiping God with our lives and fearing him. If you've got your Bible open um, to chapter five, do you, does your Bible have little headings above? What does it say above chapter five? Fear God. Fear God. Fear God. Yeah. And I think in your homework, we talked a little bit about that idea of fearing God. We went back to chapter three and, and, and looked around a little bit. But fearing God, um, interesting idea, interesting topic, weird word, because in the English language, we hear the word fear and we're like afraid, but that's not what God wants us to understand about fearing him. And so I think this little seven verse section teaches us about how we fear him because it's how we worship him. Well, before we get started, I want to put a picture up on the screen and see if you recognize this photograph. Um, I think you're gonna, I think you're gonna recognize it in a minute, in just a second. There it is. Who knows what that is? Asbury. Asbury. Yeah. Who has heard of Asbury College before two weeks ago? Okay. There you go, Debbie. Had a girl. Not me. Not you, probably. Um, Small college in Wilmore, Kentucky, February 8th, they had a chapel, just like any other weekly chapel, right? They just had a chapel, but the thing about that chapel that was different, right, is it never stopped. And, and I know that we all have all these thoughts and feelings, and I'm not going to try to put mine all over this, but I wanted to share something. As we were looking at the idea of worshiping God with our lives, fearing him above all else, I thought about this. And then I got an email um, I, uh, an author that I like, her name's Margaret Ashmore, I mean, not Margaret Ashmore, Margaret Feinberg, my bad, Margaret Feinberg. She's written a lot of books, a lot of Bible studies. I, I like her a lot, but she had written in an email and because she had gone, you know? You've talked to people or seen people talking about having gone and sat there. Um, but her email just struck me in a way that I thought it fit perfectly into what we're looking at today. She went into writing about um, what was not there. 
You see, she sat there and she stayed for a couple of days, but she wrote this. And this is what kind of shook me. So just bear with me. I'm going to read what she wrote. She said, one of the biggest markers about this outpouring was what was not there. She said, it lacks so many things that American church these days, celebrity, trendy songs that leverage emotion for a response, flawless production, even words on the screen. You see, this experience had none of it. She said, instead, it's a stripped down gathering with like five concepts, five, five main components that just kept repeating and repeating and repeating for two weeks. Students would lead worship from every genre. She said there would be maybe like churches, church songs and hymns and things that were like more than 20 years old and then hymns that were just, you know, a million years old, right? That everybody just kind of knows and people would just kind of randomly break out singing. Nothing was planned. There wasn't production, no lights, smoke, words. It just happened. She said students would then read scripture followed by more worship. Then students would start telling what Jesus was doing in their lives followed by more worship. And then there was prayer and then there was confession. All these broken lives were confessing things of the world followed by more worship. And then it would usually follow an invitation to follow Jesus. And it kept going and going and going. She said the pattern of worship, scripture, testimony, prayer, confession, and invitation would begin again and again and again. What God had been doing at Asbury is already spreading across other campuses all over the place. You know, you've heard about them. She said one point she looked up and there were strangers that would stand up and just read scripture just out of nowhere. Just somebody would stand up and then a song would start from one lone voice and then everybody would gather in. Soon, she said, there was people sharing wisdom. There was someone sharing scripture. There was nothing scripted, and it all flowed as naturally as a spring breeze, Margaret says. And she then says this, which is what really struck me and made me think about our passage today. Sometimes, friends, it can feel like we're the only ones that are craving that and that want that and that need that. But... Don't feel alone because there are believers like you who are famished for God, who are hungry for the kingdom, for his righteousness, and for his spirit, his holiness. You are not alone. Margaret says, I caught a glimpse of them this week. May the call to worship scripture, prayer, and repentance, stories of Jesus working in our lives, and the invitation to follow him spread across our nation and world in such a way that we can only say, only God. Amen, right? Only God. I love the idea of, of this revival. I, I hope that it is everything um, that God wanted it to be. That's my hope. I hope that as it continues and as things become contagious and as, as it shifts and changes, that it just becomes this movement of only God because we try to add things to him, don't we? We try to subtract things from him that we don't like, that are uncomfortable, don't we? Well, that room, I suspect, had a lot of things, but none of them were taking away from the person of Jesus. And so we open Ecclesiastes and we see how Solomon is trying to push us essentially to the same type of idea, that we need to live this life that is fully worshiping him with everything that we have. I took a, a, a very, very scientific poll before we started today uh, on Facebook, because that's where all the most scientific things happen, right? Half of you are like, I'm not even there anymore. I know, it was like five people responded. Anyway, 
I asked, what does it mean to you to fear God? That's what I asked. And I asked some other people face-to-face too, like the old-timey way. And this is what I got. I got a couple of comments like this, okay, and see what you think. I got one person that says, fearing God means that his sovereignty is equal to my insufficiency. That his sovereignty, my insufficiency, right? Another person said it means respect and reverence, that I respect and revere him no matter what. Another friend told this story, which I thought was actually hilarious, and I made it a lot shorter because she's funny, but anyway. It said, um, she, she, she likened it to a story of like when she was a teenager and she was gonna miss curfew, okay? And she said, I was thinking about this because it reminded me of my dad, that I was really needed to rely on the fact that he just wanted my best interest. And that even when I don't love the results, protection was always his goal. It's kind of cool, right? Another friend said that it's the idea of standing in awe of the living God. It's not a means to an end that we create, but rather to be in awe of him and who he is. You might remember Ecclesiastes 3, verse 14. We saw the idea of fearing him. We saw the verse that says, and I know that whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. God's purpose is that people should fear him, right? Deuteronomy talks about fearing God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, if you go back and look at that, it says, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? And then it goes on in verse 20. It says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him. Take your oaths in his name. He is your praise and he is your God. Hebrews in the New Testament Hebrews 12, verses 28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is our consuming fire. That's who we fear. That's who we worship. He wants our whole lives, you know? Well, Solomon tells us that today in this passage. In these seven verses, we're going to learn about a couple of things. We're going to learn that he's going to go from reflection. You know, the first four chapters of Ecclesiastes, we're reflecting. Remember, we're looking back like, I tried this, and I did this, and I drank this, and I smoked this, and he did everything, right? And now he's going into instruction. He's going to tell us how we fear God and worship him with our lives. There's three things that we're going to look at specifically. We're going to look at, they were essentially commands that came straight from this text, okay? First is this, that we're to draw near and listen. Draw near and listen. We're going to talk about that. That we're to speak less. And that we're to let our yes be our yes. Let our yes be our our yes. So the first section, draw near and listen. Look, we're going to take a look at the very first part of this section. Chapter 5, verse 1, the very beginning of verse 1, okay? Now remember, if if you've been with us, so do you remember the term under the sun, right? We've heard him say it a a time or two, right? So what we're talking about, what he's talking about, whenever whenever he looks backward and reflects on all the ways that we do not find satisfaction and life is full of vanity, right? He's reflecting on this life under the sun, not an eternal perspective, not one that God's in charge of, but rather if we were to take God out of everything, this is how it would be, okay? That's the under the sun mentality, right? So here he's shifting now, He's going to tell us what we need because even in religion, even in religious activities, which is what we're going to talk about, you can still remove God from them. Amen? Can you not? 
Absolutely. And so he's going to show us that even in these places, we need to worship him with our lives and fear him because even these places, we can get super lazy with how we approach the throne, okay? So verse one goes like this. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's the first part of verse one. If you look at the King James version, which I kind of loved, the King James says, keep thy foot. I like that. It's kind of trendy. I thought it was cool. I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I have no, nothing to say about it. Um, but just know this, the reason why he says that first part about guarding your steps when you go into the house of God, this is where context is super important. Okay. We got to know what was going on at the time in the old Testament when Solomon was writing this, why the people that would have received this, what they would have understood. Okay. What you can know this is there was this formal, I'm going to try to go fast because, you know, you don't need an Old Testament lesson today. Um, But there was a formal process installed by God for approaching God in worship and in sacrifice. And it was regulated by the law. And here's why. Here's why it was regulated. And and in those, you know, those, um, those books back here in the left side of your Bible, that whenever you do the Bible in a year and you get stuck, like in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you're like, and I'm done. That's what we're talking about. (laughs) All those laws that you're like, I don't want to read this. I want to get to the Jesus part. Okay. Well, they didn't have the Jesus part yet. And so God created this system of laws that was protect them. It had purpose. Okay, so he knew that, that it would be dangerous for a sinful man to try to come in the presence of, the, of God. So he created this whole system, okay? And so this is why sacrifices, the practice was put into place in the Old Testament, but man turned it into a show. Doesn't he do that? Don't we do that? They would perform ritual without repentance, you see? So what God intended for this ritual that would also accompany repentance, man messed it up. That's where Solomon is coming from. He's saying that empty formal rote efforts to manipulate God are not what we need to do. You need to guard your steps. You need to keep thy foot from approaching God this way, okay? So that's where that comes from. So the second part of that verse goes on to say this, to draw near, to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil. What does that even mean? What is the sacrifice of fools? Um, Here's the way we can look at this, okay? Consider this for a minute, okay? Like in modern day times, what what he's trying to say is, is if we are choosing not to draw near to God and listen, then we are being foolish with our sacrifices that we put before the throne. Here's two examples that came right at the top of my head, okay? One, using money, service, attendance, even to great, wonderful, godly things, okay? To impress or manipulate God that we're seeking blessing instead of his glory. We all do it, okay? That there's times when we do even the good stuff and really, really, really the motive behind it is maybe so that Dana sees that I was at church every Sunday, or that Christy knows that I like to serve on, on Thanksgiving day to, you know, I mean, there's all these things that we do and we know what our motives are. And you know who else knows? He knows. So the first way that we could be um, providing a sacrifice of fools is by doing things, but doing them for the wrong reasons. Instead of glorifying God, we sometimes are glorifying us or we're trying to manipulate or impress God, okay? That was the first one. The second one I thought of was this that we use God to gain what we desire. Or I should say, we try to use God to gain what we desire. Here's here's how, okay? Have you ever heard of the term prosperity gospel? 
Have you ever heard of the term health and wealth, the gospel of health and wealth? What about the word of faith movement? Have you ever heard of any of those things? Those are, are warping and, and, and messing with solid doctrine, and here's why. Because that idea is that you use God to gain what you desire, but really the truth, you know what the truth is? And it's in God's word. The truth is that God uses and invites us into being a part of his desires and purposes. Do you see the difference? Like we tried to tell God, okay, like I'm gonna do these things and then you're gonna do this for me. And rather God's saying, hey, know what, Chris? I'm gonna invite you into what I'm already doing. That's, that's the way we can sacrifice like fools. Because if we choose to try to use God, manipulate him, if we choose to believe in a prosperity gospel that tells us that our desires and purposes matter more than his, those are ways that we are sacrificing like fools. And he is very specific about the fact that drawing near and listening is better, okay? So consider the ways of drawing near and listening. That seems pretty, pretty logical, right? Pretty straightforward. But I wanna challenge you with a couple things. Consider this. I immediately went to the negative, which I don't know what that means, but whatever, I did. I immediately was like, okay, okay, so you want me to be a better listener? I'm a, I'm a person with a lot of words. Have we met? Have you met me? My mom knows. I have a lot of them, okay? Listening is a, is a thing. You gotta try and you gotta practice and you gotta learn. But I started thinking about what are ways that we are bad listeners? Because that might help us learn how to be good listeners, right? So what are ways that we're bad listeners? Three words, proximity, Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean, if I'm not listening well, am I putting myself in a place where um, I, I am close by and I can reach that person? You know, like if I'm gonna listen to you, I wanna be near you and I wanna listen with my face and look at you and really be invested, you know? And I think I do that with God too. I don't listen to him, you know why? Because I'm not near him. And what we know about God, what we know from his word is that he doesn't go anywhere, Amen? Who moves? Yeah, we move. So the first thing, if we're gonna be bad listeners, we need to, I mean, we're gonna be better listeners. We gotta adjust our proximity, get closer, okay, to the person we're listening to, to God. Second thing I thought about, if we're bad listeners, it's because of the way we're receiving, because of the way we're taking in the information, okay? I have a friend, um, I took a, like a, well, I flunked it because I dropped out. So I'm kind of a dropout. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lay person counseling dropout. <laughs> You're welcome. But we have this really great thing here. It's called Lifeline to Hope. And you can take this class and it really helps with um, learning how to, how to counsel and listen and, and be a person that takes um, our faith and what we believe and then is able to look at people and, and receive their, what, I don't know, what they need. Obviously I dropped out, okay, first of all. <laughs> so I'm not really good at it, but I did stay for week two and in week two she said this, ready? <laughs> I listened to this part, week two. She said this, when you're learning how to listen, I just, this stuck with me and it's my friend, so I always slow, throw it back in her face. She said, when you're listening to a person, you're having a conversation, they're talking, and you are ready to jump in with your really godly wisdom, Chris Murphy, and all your words, listen to questions more. I'm like, what do you mean by that? She's like, just when you are tempted to jump in, listen for two more questions, ask two more questions. And then a lot of times what you'll find is you never needed to speak to begin with. I think she said that just for me. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? We're too quick we're too quick to want to jump in. We, want, we don't want to receive what that person has for us, what, what God has for us, essentially. 
third thing I thought about when you think about being a bad listener is openness. Openness. Have I made up my mind? Am I crafting my responses or my rebuttals before it's even out of your mouth? Before God's even done the thing? Have I already decided, well, I already know how I'm going to do it. I already know what he's going to say. My counselor would tell you this. Well, she would tell Chris this. So Chris, when did you become a mind reader? She says that to me all the time. I'm like, yeah, I know, but so-and-so said, and I know they were going to say, she goes, really, really? When did you learn how to mind read? We do it, don't we? We jump ahead. I want to be open. I want to receive. I want to listen like this. And so are we doing that with God? How do we combat this? How do we combat the... uh, Lack of proximity, the lack of receiving, and and the closeness, the lack of openness. Here's how we do it. First, we get close to God. I kind of said that before. We got to get physically close to him in ways that, that, let me give you an example. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, and I I cry almost every time I read it, but it's 1 Kings. Yeah, it's 1 Kings. Who has that as their favorite Bible verse? Anyway, don't put it on a pillow for me. It's weird. 1 Kings 19, verses 11 through 13. It's this section of scripture that I love so much because Elijah, he was a prophet of God. Remember, prophets are God's mouthpiece. It's like God would talk to the prophets and then they would talk to the people, okay? Priests are the other way around, right? Priest goes to God on behalf of the people, okay? So he's a prophet and he's out doing prophet things and it's hard and people don't want to hear him and they're mad and he's on the run and he's hiding and he is down and out, man, And then this happens. Verse 11 goes like this. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore in the mountains and the broke into pieces and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind came, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And this is my favorite part. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. That God was in the whisper. And, and I think about that a lot because I, I think we look for him in the earthquake and all the things, don't we? You know? And we forget that sometimes he's just like, hey, Chris, I'm like this close. Just be present. Be near me. And you'll hear me whisper. So get close to him. That's the first thing. If we're going to listen well, if we're going to do what Solomon says. The second thing is this. We got to wait on him. We have to wait on him. That's not fun. Who's patient? I knew nobody would raise their hand because I would call you a liar in church. Um, Yeah, man, impatience comes naturally, doesn't it? Yeah, comes very naturally, came naturally to to the people in God's word too. If you go look up um, waiting on the Lord and patience in Psalms, like there's a million of them. Psalm 37, seven says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 27, 14 Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, over and over, there's this idea that we are bad at waiting. Amen? Especially in this culture, because we don't really have to. Like, today I got all irritated. You know why? Because it took, like, 1.2 seconds for this file to open up. And I was like, God, why isn't it open? It's broken. I got my whole computer. I was, like, texting people. And it's like, it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, seriously, like, five years ago, Chris would have been like, this is so fast. (laughs) But we condition ourselves, don't we? We just, we just want it fast, fast, fast. And so we need to wait and be still. And that's hard. 
The third way that um, I feel like we can combat the idea of being bad listeners is this, that we allow, the, you're gonna hate this one, we're gonna allow the discomfort of quiet. Allow the discomfort of quiet. Listen, you are talking to a girl who never has quiet on purpose. Even at night, I have white noise on, you know, and I pretend like that's quiet, but that's not quiet either. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard in this world because a lot of times when we get still and quiet, we start to fidget and we start to take notes and we start to think and we got to start to jump ahead and we do all that, don't we? Well, the idea of allowing discomfort of quiet goes right into verses two and three where, where Solomon tells us to speak less, to speak less. So follow along with me, verses two and three go like this. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, Chris. No, I added that part. You can add it for yourself if you'd like. Verse three, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. What he's done here is he's moved on to the topic of praying, okay? He's talking about words that we present before the Lord, okay? There's a problem with prayer. You see that we believe often that it's this position of control when actually it's a posturing of our heart because we want to believe. I mean, prayer's hard. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we, trust me, we know this, right? If you act like prayer is easy, well, okay, maybe it is for you. Let's talk because it's hard. It's hard. But oftentimes I feel like we approach praying with this idea that I'm going to control something. I'm going to manipulate God. I'm going to press him into something when really he's like, Chris, I just want your heart. That's all I want. I got the rest. I'm God. You're not. Well, Jesus talks about that. You know, Jesus talks about how we pray. He tells us how to pray, but he also talks about it. And you've probably heard this before, Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. Jesus himself said this, when you pray, not, by the way, pause, not if you pray, not if you feel like praying, not if you have time to pray, not if you decide to turn off HGTV for a minute and pray. He says, when you pray. And he's the son of God, guys. So we do what he did. When you pray, he goes on to say, don't babble on like the idolaters, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your God, your father knows the things before you ask him. I, I needed that, you know, because I need to be reminded that he knows what's best. I have nothing to barter. That my sincere heart is what he wants. When we talk about prayer, that's what he wants, guys. Three things that made me think about speaking less and getting um, into the discomfort of quiet. Three things. One is to be real. To be real when you pray. A book I'm reading, um, I love this quote, and it's just so simple. He said, when he's talking about the idea of prayer, it's, uh, it's a book called uh, Pray Like Monks, Live Like Fools. It's perfect for me. I love it already. Um, but he said this in the very beginning. He said, when we think about praying rethink the way you think about it. Do this instead. Just pray as you can. Just pray as you can. It's like we put all this pressure on ourselves, don't we, to like have this amazing like King James Old Testament like, you know, prayer. It's just, he just wants us to be real. Just pray as you can. I uh, 
this is a very real thing for me because I feel like God's worked on me a lot. I have a lot of amazing prayer warriors in my life. A lot of people that I would say are incredible when they pray. You know the people, you know the people, you might be the people, you know the people that when you're in the room with them and they are real and their heart is so real, you know this. But when they start praying, everybody's just like, oh, come on, come on. Come on, you just, let, you just want him to keep talking. Kind of like when Avery sings, you just want her to keep going, just keep going, right? That is not me, <laughs> that's not how I pray. But all he wants is for me to be real. Um, I had an opportunity, <laughs> say opportunity, um, a few months ago, one of, my, one of my best friends had a very sudden, uh, terrible diagnosis. And she is fighting, she's fighting. Um, for her life right now. But, but when we started the, the original diagnosis, she has stage four metastatic breast cancer. And it was the original diagnosis. I'm talking like day one was breasts, spine, fractures, liver. Like it, it was, you know, it was a lot. And so as she's in the hospital, they said, you know, we've got to do an MRI and we've got to do all these scans. We've got to do all these things. So we got to look, you know, they just want to see where everything is and what's happening and everything. Well, my friend is one of those people, and you might be one of those people who's deathly afraid, deathly afraid of these medical tests. She gets super claustrophobic. I'm talking like we're talking about it in her hospital room and her, it's just like red. It's just like crawling up her neck. I'm like, take a breath. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It's not happening yet. And so when they start talking about having to do this MRI, and, and at the time she has this spinal fracture because of the cancer was like breaking her bones. And so laying flat was really hard. Laying flat inside of a tube was really hard. Scared to death, right? So her husband drags me out in the hallway and he's like, he's so funny. He's like, all right, look, we gotta make this thing happen. I don't know what we gotta do. We gotta get her in that tube. And we gotta get, the, that's how he talks, if you know David. <laughs> we gotta get these pictures taken. And so he goes and grabs a nurse and says, hey, can one of us sit in there with her? Can we sit in the MRI room? And they're like, no, 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 no. That is against the policies. We don't do that here. And he said, I'll be right back. And then David disappears off. I go back in the room, praying with my friend, with my other friend who's there. And we're holding her hand and we're saying, you can do this. It's gonna be okay. You can do this. And David comes busting in with another nurse and says, we have special permission. One of us can go in. And I said, I'm it. <laughs> Because right then, you know, I didn't have to pick up carpool. I'm an empty nester now, you know. I didn't have to do all the things. And my friend's husband said, I'm not good at this nurturing part. I'm good at making things happen. So I'm like, all right, I'm in. So before I know it, like 20 seconds, I'm like pulling out. They're like, do you have metal in your body? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like panicked going, what happens if I do? You don't want to know what happens if you do. I didn't, I took it all out, right? But I just got my ear pierced, by the way, this is just an aside. And so like, I still had the thing in, you know, that's like, don't take it out or like close up. And I'm like, I've got to take it out. I ordered, it was worth it. Anyway, I took it out, took all the things off, put them in the baggie. They wheeled us down. My friend is so petrified. We're praying all the way, praying all the way, praying all the way. And the nurse with us goes, they've never let anybody do this. And I'm like, well, they're going to let us do it. And so we go in there and um, they roll up a wheelchair next to her feet. And she's panicking and she's having a hard time breathing. And all I knew to do is put my hands on her feet. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have like one of those, you know, King James, like Thanksgiving Day prayers, right? And you know what I said? Nothing. <laughs> I said nothing because I couldn't speak because it was so scary. 
And she was so afraid. But I, I, I will tell you this, Asbury picture is awesome, but I have never felt the holiness like I felt in that room with my friend with my hands on her feet because I don't even know what I said. She doesn't know because she was super drugged up. She can't talk about it. But God just, I just was saying, please, please, please. God, heal her, heal her, please. Get her through this. You know, just words I didn't really even know. Um, but it was probably the realest prayer time I've ever had in my whole life. It was my um, Asbury Chapel revival moment. Be real. You know, sometimes you're sitting in an MRI and you don't know what to say, but you know what? He knows your heart because that's all he wants. Just be real. Another thing I think when we're talking about speaking less, speaking fewer words and, and listening more and drawing near is this, that we need to do less Fewer words, you know, I mentioned before, I think in your homework, I had you practice something that you probably all like wanted to punch me when I said, okay, write out this big prayer. And then I went, okay, now go back and rewrite it in three words. (laughs) Did you love that? Practice it. Some of the greatest prayers you'll ever pray go like this. Help. Thanks. Wow. (laughs) You know, He loves that. Just be real and do less. The last thing I want to share with you, and we're going to practice something, and you're going to love this. Um, Have you ever heard of breath prayers? Well, in that book I'm reading, this came up, and, and it's come up two or three different times this week, and so whenever that happens, I feel like God going, hey, if I have to do it again, it's going to be like I'm going to hit you in the face with it. So I'm like, cool, I got it. Here's what this is, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to put both feet firmly on the ground, right where you are. I want you to set your stuff down for just a minute. I want you to put your hands in your lap and I want you to set your palms straight up. Just for a minute. It's cool. Everything's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. I want you to breathe in and out three times. Just breathe in and out. Just three times. And then I want you to close your eyes. And in your mind, I want you to pray the simplest prayer you've ever prayed. You can quote scripture. You can say this. This is one of my favorites. Here I am. Here I am. You can say this. You can say, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. You can say this. Come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit. When we're still or quiet and we wait, something happens, you know. You can open your eyes. In the book I'm reading, it challenged me this way. To begin every time that you spend with God with prayers like that for two minutes, just nothing but breathing and talking to him. And I thought, oh, cool, two minutes. I got two minutes. I will give God two minutes. I'm that good. <laughs> you know. 
It was the longest. I, I looked, I finally opened my eyes after one minute and looked down and I'm like, holy cow, it's only been a minute. But the idea is that if you can sit and be still just with him, just like just start for 30 seconds. That was about like four seconds. Felt a long time, didn't it? But if you can sit and be still and speak no words, listen. I, I, uh, in the book I'm reading, he said it this way. He said, when you do that, when you start like that, you're giving God the first word. You're giving him the first word before you start down your laundry list, before you have the, the questions and, and the needs, you're giving him the first word. Well, Solomon moves us in verses four through six, and I'm not gonna read them for sake of time, but he's talking about vows. And I, I wanna hit this really quick and then we're gonna wrap up and take off. But listen, um, he's talking about vows and it's important for us to understand something about vows. Just like we said before, context is key, right? So what we need to know is that when he's talking about vows, these are pledges, okay, that the worshipers made to God as part of an offering or sacrifice, Okay, it's a process. So they would do this thing where it was like, it was like this kind of thing. It was like, if we do this, God, then you're gonna do this. It was like these if-then promises that they made to God, okay? To gain God's favor or to attempt to urge him to grant their requests. If you will do this, then I will do this, right? We do that sometimes, don't we? We make these vows. I, I know there have been times in my life where I think I thought about it like this. I'm like, when are the moments that we get on our knees and we start giving God the if-then statements? The like, I will do all these things if you will do this. If you will just save this person. If you will just bring this. If you will heal this, right? Those are times usually of, uh, of emotion, of crisis or excitement. Maybe it's, you know, things that you know that you get caught up in the moment. Like, let me give you some examples. I'm not gonna look at anybody's faces when I do this. Um, what about the times when you are in some amazing church service and you're like, you know what? Yes, I need to join the church and be part of community. Yes. Or what about this one? Yes, I need to raise my kids to know and love and value our relationship with Jesus above everything else. Yes. Yes, I need to be better spouse, friend, coworker, parent, all the things. We make these vows, right? We get excited. And then we go home and resume the same old schedule and the same old priorities. And so Solomon is saying, don't do that. Don't make vows you're not gonna keep. Don't have promises you're not gonna see through. Don't hide the things that you say you're gonna do and you're not really gonna do because you know what? I got another little tip. This is just a little hot tip. You can't hide from him, amen? See Acts 5, Acts chapter 5. Anybody ever heard of these people, Ananias and Sapphira? Anybody? It's ugly, guys. They tried to tell a little fib. Things did not go well. So let me just tell you, you can't hide from him. Don't hide from him. Instead, own it, confess it, turn from it. That's what he wants. When we talk about these vows, we talk about like, are we gonna be sincere in what we say we're gonna do, what our heart really wants to do, or are we just doing it for show? That's what Solomon's talking about. I think about this. This is super godly. You're welcome. Anybody ever watch Survivor, that show? You liars, I know you have, come on. There we, there we are, aren't we cute? Okay, if you haven't, shame on you, there's 7,000 seasons, so you can go back and watch. 
It's fascinating. It's a fascinating experiment in the human condition. And here's why. Um, because when you watch it, the people that are on the show, okay, tell me, you people that didn't lie that watch it, tell me if I'm right. Who are the people that always swear? Like, I swear, they're, li- they're the liars, right? They're the ones that are like, no, I swear. You can trust me, I swear. And it's because they're the ones that always lie. Did you notice that? Like the people that are honest don't have to swear because we know they're honest. That's my godly application. <laughs> I, I, think, I think about that because in James 5.12, we know you've heard this verse before and Jesus actually kind of said it too in his, um, in his monologue in Matthew 5. But in James 5.12, it goes like this, but above all brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any oath, but let your yes be your yes and your no be your no so that you may not fall under the condemnation. It's survivor. It's being known for the person that doesn't have to swear and doesn't have to. If I say, if I'm excited and I'm in a church service and I say I'm going to raise my kids and we're going to follow hard after Jesus, then you know what, by golly, I need to try. Amen? It's okay. Just try. He loves triers. I think, I think that's in the Bible somewhere. I'm sure of it. So let your yes be your yes. Um, listen, we're going to close a certain way. As I was um, driving in, I called an audible and Avery is a she's a champion but she's also a champion yeah that was a good joke just to me and Avery um God is the one we need to fear guys verse 7 tells us that that God is the one you must fear where are those places in your life that um that that you aren't worshiping him with your whole life where are those places you know I know Remember Margaret, remember what she said about that worship at Asbury? Remember she said this, may the call to worship, scripture, prayer, and repentance, stories of Jesus working in our lives and the invitation to follow him spread across our nation and the world in such a way that all we can say is only God. It starts, starts with us. Like it starts right here. We have to be the ones There are so many times in my life, and tonight is one of them, when I absolutely know for certain it could only be him. And I hope you have that too. I asked Avery to come up um, and sing a song. You don't have to sing with her. You can sit with your eyes closed, your hands up. She's not going to make fun of you. We just want us to sing this over us. I want you to hear these words, and I want you to remember this about our God and how much he loves you and how much he wants your whole life. And then after she's finished, y'all can take off, okay?